Being positive in a negative situation isn't naive, it's leadership. Come on, people. Let's not only like face the hardship, but let's believe the impossible dream that we can change things. This is Until All Are Free, a podcast by the Exodus Road. I'm your host, Preston Goff, and welcome to 2021. It's the start of a new year, and with it comes the arrival of National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month here in the United States. If you're an advocate for people enslaved, which I would assume you are since you're listening to this podcast, and you follow organizations that are working to liberate victims of slavery and human trafficking around the globe, then you're probably seeing lots of information about how you can help to make freedom possible. And the truth is, there are so many fantastic organizations involved in liberation work, and I'm excited to welcome a guest today who's building a legacy of doing just that. Ben Cooley is the co-founder and CEO of Hope for Justice, an organization that exists to bring an end to modern slavery by preventing exploitation, rescuing victims, restoring lives, and reforming society. Ben is a Brit, and he's known for his positivity and resolve in the face of an issue that brings such darkness into the world. Ben, I want to welcome you to the podcast today, and um, I'm just excited to get to talk to you to hear more about your story and about Hope for Justice. And I wondered if maybe we could just begin by hearing a little bit about your background. Um, I think I, I heard that you've you founded Hope for Justice at the age of 26. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I started Hope for Justice. Um, uh, I was an opera singer at the time. I used to wear tights and makeup and dance around, and I used to do that in operas as well. And uh, it was it was a joke. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you yeah. Can, you do you still do that? Or you can yeah. laugh if you want. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I um, kind of heard about this issue that many of us are now aware of, particularly if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you are aware of the issue of human trafficking. But, you know, back in 2007, um, heard about that. Uh, 27 million people caught in slavery, 1.2 million children a year, sold two children every minute. And I walked out that building that night and I thought, wow, if that was my daughter, I would do something. And it was the next thought that changed the course of my life. They are someone's daughter, I should do something. So I did what any young, passionate 26-year-old would do. I booked an arena in England to tell people about it, and we got 5,884 people to our first event. And uh, from there, kind of launched it. Um, we now have, uh, uh, we're in 10 countries, 32, 33 offices, I think. Uh, we helped 102,000 children in our programs last year alone. So, If I hear you right, the incubation time was like immediate. You... Uh-huh. Heard about the need, were caught up in it, and immediately mm. responded. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much within a matter of weeks. I talked to some of my friends about it, but um, look, I knew nothing when I started, right? So I phoned up the arena, and I was like, hey, I want to book it. They were like, where are you from? I said, originally from the northeast of England, but now I live in Manchester. They said, no, which company are you from? And I was like, lesson one, I need a company. I need a company. <laughs> and, uh, you know. You know, one thing I realized is on this journey is there's kind of two things that keep you going for the long term, right? Passion. Mm-hmm. Some may call that vision. 
right? You, you know, I, I found that there's a, there's a well-known proverb that says where there is no vision, people give up, cast yeah. off restraint. Yeah. Well, I, I hope for justice we say where there is, where there is vision, people flourish. And, you know, as a leader, I, I need to be a great orator of the vision. I need to be a great orator of not only the vision, but people's place in it, right? Right. Hey, your bit matters. You know, you know, I love the the whole story about where that where that, that man that was sweeping the floor and like they said, Hey, what are you doing? And he's like, you know, he's working at NASA, what are you doing? You know? And it could be so easy to say, Hey, I'm just sweeping the right. floor, right? right? But he said, No, I'm not I'm helping put a man on the moon. Yeah. And this whole thing about like vision is so important. I think vision is what's kept us going, is vision full. So if we scoot back a little bit, what's your initial plan to like combat the issue? Like yeah. what is the approach that you hoped to enact and how has that um, matured over yeah, time? Yeah. And, and so change? we originally started off rescuing victims. So uh, like particularly in the UK, right? We weren't focused internationally. We were focused on the first victim we ever rescued was half a mile away from my house. So firmly in the intervention space. Yeah, yeah. And, and so we employed investigators, lawyers, social workers to actually proactively, you know, back in, back in 2008, 2009, which is when we kind of launched, um, you know, there was only 87 rescues in the UK. Wow. Last year, there was 6,600. Wow. So, you know, and, and, you know, we launched offices. I remember we launched an office in, uh, in 2013 in the UK. First year, we rescued 110 victims. Youngest three months old, oldest 58 years old. And so, you know, our space was very much rescue, 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 rescue. And then over time, we've kind of gone into this four-tier strategy where we now work on prevention. Mm -hmm. So we do self-help groups, child protection clubs. We do community conversations. We work in rural parts of Africa to help prevent exploitation to Europe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we do rescue. We do aftercare now. So we have 11 short-term residential treatment centers, schools, reintegration projects. We have independent living, our own foster care. We do legal advocacy for um, civil litigation and for prosecutions. Um, uh, I think we reached over 50% of the prosecutions in the UK came because of cases that we worked on last year alone. That's unbelievable. Yeah, um, and um, and then we work with reformation. So we work with governments. I was just last week with in your White House, um, uh, meeting with this, the, the team talking about some things that we've learned over the years of dealing with not only working here operationally in the U.S., of rescuing victims here in the U.S., but some of the gaps that we've seen internationally of how we're working. So we kind of work on those prevention, rescue, restore, and reform. And then we work with, with businesses, right, to address slavery in the supply chain. So we've got a, a subsidiary company called Slave Free Alliance mm -hmm. that's a, a membership base where businesses join to start looking at their supply chains. So we've got members like Virgin just to, became yeah. a member yeah um we've got um aviva astrazeneca some large multinational companies so that feels um i mean that's world changing like sy systemic changing decisions mm -hmm. but that feels like a like third degree away from like beginning with rescuing someone yeah. half mile from your house yeah and i wonder like what are the what are the signpost stories for the organization that take you from we're going to go and we're going to knock on a door a half mile down the road and rescue someone to like being able to have those sorts of conversations in a relatively short span of time, right? Yeah. Like relatively young organization yeah. in some ways. Okay, so it, it, there's two things, right, I believe. 
it's number one, it's actually, um, everyone has experiences, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we all have experiences. I remember I was, I was one of the guys that works for me, he was the deputy director of National Crime Agency. I remember laughing and joking with him one day. I was like, oh my gosh, there's this one particular staff member that is doing my head in, right? I just want to grab this staff member. What are you doing, you know? And he keeps on saying this thing to me. And this, you know, deputy director he said, what did he say? He said, he keeps on saying this to me. He keeps on saying, he's got 30 years experience within law enforcement, 30 years experience. I'm like, he's so annoying. It's 30 years, every every conversation. I've got 30 years experience. You know, I'm like, <laughs> will you stop saying, I've got 30, I know you've got 30. And I was telling this this, this um, uh, deputy director of National Crime, he laughed. He said, it's so funny, Ben, that he says that because he hasn't got 30 years experience. He's got one year's experience, but he's had it 30 times. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone has experience, so it's the power of evaluated experience that really matters. Yeah, certainly. And so what we've done throughout Hope for Justice is every year, evaluate experience, evaluate experience, evaluate experience. So we've got better, smarter, quicker, faster. Uh, our processes, uh, our innovation, and, you know, innovation is seeing what everyone else is, thinking, is seeing, but thinking what no one else has thought. Right. I mean, if you think about that, right? So what we've done is we've gone, we're rescuing victims, rescuing victims. Oh my gosh, where should we put them? I'm not happy with the metrics of where we're putting them. Let's look at what we're doing in terms of aftercare. Oh my gosh, do you know they've been so broken? We've learned about their cases. We've learned about what's happened. How do we prevent this from happening in the first place? We've got all this data through national, so how do we do prevention? Oh my gosh, we're learning so much through prevention, through rescue and through restoration. Actually, how do we uh, equip society and governments and businesses to actually put better processes in place to address rule of law, to address corruption, to address um, supply chain issues. So it's it's a natural course. So the first thing is evaluate experience, but then it's about getting the right people in the room. Yeah, right. You know, one of my favorite musicals in America, I didn't, it wasn't one of my favorites. And I didn't realize that like the people that took me that flew from all different parts of America to meet me in Chicago where I was speaking at a conference. And they said, hey Ben, we want to take you to see this musical. I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I mean, okay, fine, I'll come with you. And it was this musical called Hamilton. I didn't realize that this Hamilton musical was in, was a mockery of the British at all, <laughs> right? And like, you know, I, 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 I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't, I sat there and I was like, hang on two texts. This is like celebrating the fact that you got rid of the British. Um, but one of, the, one of the songs in it, which is amazing, is you'll be back yep. soon, you'll see, yep. you'll remember you belong to me. The reality of that musical, there's a phrase that says it, that says all the time, it says, I was in the room where it happened, the room where it happened, the room where it happened. So you've got to evaluate the experience, but you actually need people in the room. Yeah. You know, so many people try and change things with pickets. Right. Like, oh, come on, get this. It's awesome, right? You want to be in the boardroom of Change Hope for Justice? If you want to change Hope for Justice, you need to get in the boardroom. Yeah. And you need to get in the room where it happens. And I suppose that's where our strategy has gone, is evaluated your experience and adapt and change and commit to change all the time, commit to it, and then make sure you have the people in the room where it happens. Anyone who works in, in the field of, of the fight against trafficking, it requires something of you and it takes something from you to have firsthand experience. I think especially in the intervention space, um, when, you, when you sit with someone who's had trauma or you, you put yourself around that, it's, it wears on you. Um, so how do you personally yeah. sustain yeah. in the midst of it? So it's a great question. So um, 
I'm a firm believer in, yes, there's something called vicarious trauma. And so you are going to inherit other people's trauma by constantly telling stories, constant, you know, it's one of the challenges with meeting with donors or interactions with people that you're constantly having to tell people about what the worst things have happened to other people and that traumatizes you. It's a real thing and I totally get it, right? I totally get it. And I, I've, I've, I've kind of committed to the, to the thing now where I am a leader that's going to lead with a limp because of it, right? It's, it's, it's a weight that's hard to carry. It can mar you, scar you, hinder you, but I'm going to keep on fighting. I love the words of, of William Wilberforce when he was asked to fight the, against the abolition of the slave trade. You know, he wrote back to Lady Middleton and he said, I feel the importance of the subject, but I feel unequal to the task allotted to me, but I won't positively decline it. Yeah. And I love that kind of ethos of going, well, it's hard, it's difficult. I'm not going to say no, right? And I suppose that's, that's the glorious freedom fighters that keep on going, that have that relentless pursuit, that have long obedience in the same direction, that have to acknowledge that it's going to hurt them, harden them, scar them, right? But here's the reality, right? In the midst of that, I have fun. Now, many people will come up to me in the events and they'll go, Ben, you make too many jokes. I'm like, yeah, I probably do, you know. People say, Ben, do you not take your work seriously? I'm sorry, I'm doing a fake American accent. Y'all just want to do that? I want some banana pudding? Right? <laughs> do, you, do you not take your work seriously? I say, absolutely, I take my work seriously. But just because I fight darkness doesn't mean I have to become like it. Yeah. And you know, there's this well-known proverb that says, joy is intrinsically linked with strength. And there's something about the joy that is within us that keeps us fighting, right? I have never met anyone that is more motivated when they are discouraged, more motivated when they are sad, more motivated when they are in hardship than, than actually someone that's actually encouraged. Yeah. So I, I deliberately on purpose at Hope for Justice, of the 10 countries, the uh, locations, the hundreds of staff that we have, we deliberately on purpose, part of our cultural value is to have fun. Being positive in a negative situation isn't naive. It's leadership. Come on, you know, you know. So what I I believe two people, two two types of things that I say to people often, right? They'll come to me with their eeyore attitudes. Oh, Ben, you say that you want to end slavery. Do you, that's impossible. You'll never end slavery. And I love I love Muhammad Ali's quote that says, impossible is just a big word thrown around by small-minded men who find it easier to live in a world that they've been given. Yeah. Rather to yeah. explore the yeah. power they have to change it. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. Impossible is a dare. Come on, people. Let's not only like face the hardship, but let's believe the impossible dream that we can change things. The other thing that people come to me with, the Eeyore spirit. You know the Eeyore spirit. Oh, that's impossible. Oh, this one. I love it. What I'll do will never make a difference. Yeah, I love that. I yeah. love it. Oh, we'll never do it because I'm so insignificant. <laughs> you know, eeyore, eeyore. I love that, right? I'm just a fill I'm just in the a, blank. Yeah, I'm just a, <laughs> just a house mom. You know, I'm just a, I'm just a small business owner. You know, what can I do? I'm not as big or influential as I love, I absolutely adore this quote. And it's not mine. I wish it was. But no one raindrop ever felt responsible for the flood. Yeah, Have that's you ever thought fantastic. About that? Yeah. Like it's like the flood, the tsunami, the, the unstoppable waves of that, of freedom that we can create is built upon the many that have done the few. Right, right. 
the few acts. And so I want to say if you are someone that's an Eeyore, change your mindset because we need you joyous in the fight. Face that impossible and realize what you do matters. Okay, let's start here. Tell me something that you're just over the moon excited about for Hope for Justice in a year when it's not very popular to be excited about anything. Well, um, I think that COVID has massively changed. I mean, if you look at the circumstances that we're looking at, UN says a billion people have lost their jobs in temporary work. Um, uh, I was with uh, Ambassador Richmond saying that 250 million people have been shoved into extreme poverty. Um, uh, UNICEF says 12,000 people extra a day are dying because of starvation. I mean, even in my Uganda and Ethiopian operations, on the risk register right now, they, their access to food is one of the greatest risks. Yeah. Okay? Right, because it's a 90-day harvest, they can't go and sow the crops. Sorry, harvest the crops, therefore they can't sow the crops. Right, you've got parts of the world that have now banned human rights legislation for three years to get businesses back to production. Right, yeah. so we are facing one of the biggest crises that we now on a human rights front. On a human right. rights front, and what's the number one thing for human trafficking? The number one thing of the thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands of people that we've helped, 102,000 uh, children in our programs last year, do you know what the number one factor is? Vulnerability. Yeah, poverty and vulnerability. Vulnerability, vulnerability. Whether that's economic, yeah. educational, vulnerability because of rule of law issues, because of corruption, there's vulnerability and vulnerability because of job job safeties or, or um, so, so many factors of vulnerability and so, this has only made the fight against trafficking harder. Yeah. Number one, it's harder. So um, I think as abolitionists, and I speak to fellow abolitionists in the room, we've got a long way to go to now to change this rhetoric to how do we help more people even when our hands are tied? Yeah. And I, it's hard to be positive in that. So when you ask me about what am I excited about, I'm actually mourning what this is gonna do. But the reality is we have to own the fact that how we've done lockdown will intrinsically affect the world's poorest. And it will send already 250 million people into extreme poverty. And I think we have to, we have to own that. And now what we as abolitionists have to do is to go around the whole rooms of power and in business and to be the voice of reason to say, actually, can I say, now's the time to not retract from engaging in human rights issues, but now is the time to actually, to forcefully advance. Let's talk a little bit about specifically Hope for Justice's response to COVID. Yeah. And I'm sure like, I mean, here at the Exodus Road, we've, we've seen an evolution of our response, right? Like you kind of begin in um, survival mode and begin yeah. to transition back into more intervention work and being able to do um, some of the more normal practices. Where Moving is Hope for to Justice? online investigation and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm aware, yeah. So, I, like, yeah, I mean, we've we've had to pivot quite a bit. Um, uh, residential has become harder because of regulations within countries, right? Yeah. So social distancing, all of that sort of stuff, mask wearing, you know, like if... Um, if, uh, you know, isolation, 50, some parts of the world are saying that we have to just take 50% capacity. Yeah. So all of that, it's devastating to me, devastating to me. 50% capacity is devastating to me, right? 
Um, so um, investigations have become harder. You know, you've had to change your regulations of how you do investigations. So you can't have two people in a car in parts of the world, you know, doing doing surveillance, you know, all of that. So, um, um, yeah, we've had to pivot quite a bit. Um, and part of that's been healthy. Yeah. And part of that's been devastating to me. So you, you, what do you mean by that? Um, well, I, th I think that, you know, we are, our numbers of beneficiaries of and, and people we've been able to help has decreased through COVID. But our costs have increased. Yeah. You know, because we've had to put more staff on, more right. more rotors, more, you know, but we're at 50% capacity in, in Ethiopia, for example, on our aftercare shelters because yeah. the government regulations. So, and I get it, we've got a, it's just devastating as an abolitionist. You want to help as many more uh, many yeah. people, right? Absolutely. Some of the healthy stuff is it's led us to um, to cut costs in certain areas. So we're devolving our headquarters and we're, you know, we're actually bringing more of our staff to America than, say, England. Um, uh, and so that sort of thing is, is healthy for us. We're kind of, we've realized we don't need to be headquartered, headquarters in one city. We can be headquartered all over the world. And so there's some really innovative things that we've done, yeah. um, even with how we're doing our online stuff, our media marketing, you know, um, all of that. I want to ask you one like philosophical question um, that, that we, I, I try to ask every leader in the space. And it's this, um, what does the word rescue mean to you and to the organization? Do you use it? Mm -hmm. Do you not? If yep. so, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, I'm a firm believer rescue is an event, it's a process. Mm. But I, I mean, I get criticized for using the word rescue. In the UK, I would be criticized. For Why? Um, because it seems uh, dramatic. Yeah. Rescue, oh my gosh, bashing down the doors and stuff like that. Well, we do that with the police. We have great partnerships with the police. And I say to people, if people are in slavery, held against their will, if you get them out of that situation, what does it mean? Yeah, and they have no other word. And they go, it. well, it's an intervention. No, it's not. Well, uh, it's, um, it's identification. No. That's not. Identification is you've identified that they're there, right? Rescue, you are rescuing them out. Now, here's the thing, right? I don't believe in reckless rescue, mm. right? I believe that one of the best things that you can do is that you can put together a thought-through response to what does rescue mean. So, for me, rescue has to include, you know, what are we doing with law enforcement? How we gather intelligence so that we can actually build a successful case. I mean, I employ people from city law enforcement, so we're used to building intelligence packages, working with law enforcement. How do we get it so that we can prove the the criminality? How do we make sure that we're survivor led, right? Yeah, and right. this is one of the biggest initiatives that we're doing at the moment is making sure that we we're including survivor voices in our organisation. How do we make sure that it's a safe environment, right? Where are we going to put the victims that become survivors? Yeah. Where are we gonna Where are we gonna um, uh, support them through the prosecution process, civil litigation. How do we in, uh, in, empower an environment of which that they feel safe and secure? So all of those, so it's not just about bashing down the doors. It isn't an event, it's a process. So I think rescue is far more complicated than an event, but it is an event, Yeah. but it has a process. And so we say rescue is an event, it's a process, but it is an event, 
It's just a process as well, right? Yeah. So, um, but I believe in doing it sustainably. So I am not the organization. There's several things that I don't agree with in this space. I'm allowed to say it. Yeah. I don't believe in buying children back. Yeah. Do not do it. I've met, you know, uh, traffickers that have said that they have got a whole section of their trafficking space that's geared towards well-meaning Christians that want to buy children back, right? Don't do it. You're, it's a short-term solution, but you're empowering a long-term violation. Because that's putting money into the pockets of traffickers. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, exactly. And you might get a win for social media, but it's not really a win, is it? Right. Right. And then the second thing is, I believe in working with local enforcement mm. because I, I think it's the only sustainable way of doing it, right? So don't bring in your kind of like... Liam Neeson. Yeah, yeah, sort of bashing down the doors. Often rescues are actually quite quiet. And so, and but it's sustainable, you know. I, I, I think our movement has some growth to do, and we, as, and I say that from Hope for Justice, we are not there yet. So, for the average person who um, maybe hears your words, mm -hmm. feels a creative pulse in them to like be a part of a change, mm -hmm. to join a fight that's going to take yeah. a long time. What's the role? Love this question. Absolutely love this question. I'm going to answer it with a story. You probably have seven hours of different answers. Well, I'll, do you know I used to be an opera singer, right? So I used yeah. to be a ba bass baritone. Yeah. Now, bass baritones, man, they, they, they always play the granddad role. They never win a fight. They never win a woman, right? <laughs> I remember being at the back of the stage one time. and I was there. I was just about to be killed, and I was about to lose the woman. Yeah, And the woman was at the front of the stage and then this guy came onto stage who was going to kill me and he was a tenor. And I was looking at this guy and I was thinking, you know, I was looking at the audience and I was looking at this guy and then I looked at me, looked at this guy, looked at the woman and then looked at the audience and I was thinking, no one's going to believe that. No <laughs> one's going to believe that that guy is going to win her. She's going to pick him. Even with the makeup that I had on, I was way better looking than that guy, right? And I was like, the only reason why he's going to win the fight, win the woman, and I'm going to lose is because of my voice type, mm -hmm. right? I was thinking, gosh, I should be a tenor. So I went back to my apartment and I got my keyboard out and, you know, I started singing Ness and Dorma. You know Ness and Dorma, right? Um, if you can sing Ness and Dorma, you are a tenor, right? Okay. And so it goes, you know the bit right at the end where it's going. It was going pretty well up until that point. You know you know the bit right at the end where it goes, Vincero, Vincero. Come on, Ben, you can do it. I believe in you. Come on, you've got this. Vincero. Don't throw away your confidence, for it will be richly rewarded. At that point in time, there was a knock on my door. It was my flatmate and fellow opera singer, Mike. He said, Ben, are you all right? I didn't answer. Yeah. He said, Ben. I hate to tell you this. You're not a tenor. You're a bass baritone. I know it's a silly story, but actually I think it's one of the most profound truths that I've realized as an abolitionist leader. And you can use biblical stories to this. You know, with David taking on Saul's armor and right. him going, actually, oh, man, it's not me. It's not, it's not how I fight. I fight with a slingshot. I don't fight with your armor, I fight with me. You right. know, how I've done it and how I, And I think this is what's beautiful about a revelation that you were designed, you were purposed to be you. 
So if you can knit, knit. If you can stand up in court, stand up in court. If you're a, a, a public speaker, good luck. There's no events happening right now. <laughs> it's not everything shut down. But like, I'm being serious. What can you do? The answer is actually in your hands. You know you. Yeah. So the greatest gift that you can be right now is a healthy version of you that then adds to this, to your labor, to your life, to your diary. Because remember, your diary is what your outcome is for your whole life, right? Right. It's like similar to your thinking. Your thinking affects your attitude. Your attitude determines the course of your life. Right. So get it in your thinking that you want to do something. Get it in your diary that you're going to do something and be you. And, uh, you know, if that means that you work in restoration hardware, I'm very jealous because I love restoration hardware. Do something. Do an event. Talk about this issue. Go and speak to your procurement team in your supply chain. Go, how do we make all of our furniture ethically sourced? Yeah. Also, how do we send it over to Ben's house for free? <laughs> you know? There you go. But it's that sort of thing that we need. Yeah. We, I mean, we say, we say justice is in the hands of the ordinary at the Exodus Road. I yeah. think that um, is exactly what you're saying too. Yeah. Like, um, be be aware and awakened um, no matter wh who you are and what you, mm -hmm. what you do and find that you have something to offer to it. Absolutely. Well, thank you. My pleasure. I want to give a special thanks to Ben Cooley and the entire Hope for Justice team for joining us on this episode of Until All Are Free. If you'd like to learn more about the incredible work that HFJ is accomplishing in the anti-trafficking space, you can visit their website at hopeforjustice.org. We'll also share links on our website at theexodusroad.com slash podcast. Until All Are Free is a podcast by The Exodus Road, a nonprofit dedicated to the strategic fight against trafficking around the globe. The podcast is hosted by me, Preston Goff, and the music you heard on the intro and outro of this episode was produced and generously donated by City of Sound. You can subscribe to Until All Are Free wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, I'd love for you to take a moment to rate and review us. It really helps. Hey.